Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Welcome back to Feminist Book Club, the podcast. We're not just about feminist books. We are here for social justice, literature, and media in all its forms. But we do that through an intersectional feminist lens. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. So hi, my name is Ashley. I am a Feminist Book Club content contributor. I am joined today with Ra, Alana, and Mariquita. And we are going to be talking about I'm Glad My Mom Died, a memoir by Jeanette McCurdy. Many of you may know Jeanette as the star of two Nickelodeon shows, iCarly and Salmon Cat. And in her memoir, she talks about um, her upbringing, particularly her relationship with her mother, as well as entering the industry as an actor and the detriments that that gave to her. This will be a spoiler conversation. In addition, there are a number of content warnings for eating disorder, bulimia in particular, uh, child abuse, emotional abuse, and alcoholism. So please take that into mind and take care of yourself if you cannot listen to this conversation at this time. So with that said, let's open up the conversation to thoughts about the book and um, what interested you in reading the book. I mean, the title, the title so eye-catching. And I feel like for anyone that has ever had issues with their mother, will want to pick that up. I think or any complicated relationship with a parental figure. Um, the the title is definitely a a really big driver for me for why I wanted to read the book. Because I've I I had a um, complicated relationship with my dad, and I I don't think I'm at the I'm not at the point where I would say I'm glad that he died. I, I still have a lot of grief around that, but I can I can understand how complex that grief might be. Yeah, the title is definitely a point for me for reading the book. I look at it two ways: um, relief and also anger. Um, just like the relief of like, I'm glad my mom died. And, you know, because her mother had cancer and she was sort of relieved of her, this pain in her body, but also the anger and the, um, the frustration that comes from their relationship that is the crux of the book. And it, I always love a title for how it helps you enter what you're going to be reading. Um, and also just the idea that of mothers and daughters and how most um, daughters have such a great skip down the sidewalk relationship with their mothers, but for most people, they don't. Um, I think most people often talk about their relationship with their father being the most volatile or being having the most abuse. So for her to, for Jeanette to be talking about her mother in this context, um, really intrigued me for reading the story. Well, and the, the um, memoir itself, like almost like is bookended by this complicated relationship she has with her mother. You know, I was probably about two thirds of the way through it and I was kind of 
um, you know, her, her mom dies before you get to the end of the book. Right. And then it kind of, she's dealing with a lot of emotional fallout. Sorry for any loud traffic behind me, uh, for anybody listening. Um, and, and I was kind of like, well, you know, it, it was the title, like just, um, a platform for this discussion, or is this book like really about that complicated relationship? And then it comes back around and, um, and you get like another glimpse again of like, how damaging that relationship was is when she talks about it in the beginning, she's sort of like talking about it from the perspective of someone who's in it at the time, you know, and is uncomfortable with some things, but like really wants to do the best thing and make her mom happy. And towards the end of the book, when she reflects back on that relationship, she is able to see it from a different perspective of one that um, someone who's been through a big trauma, a significant trauma. And like, what does that mean now going forward? And what does that mean for how she feels about her mom? In an interview with Trevor Noah, she talks about how we put parents on a pedestal and more so mothers, that they're these angelic beings. And that there's a lot of different ways that that happens. Hashtag the Supreme Court. Um, but what is really interesting about that is that that is essentially the book. That's the whole thing is that we're supposed to do this. And that's why the title, at least in my, from my perspective is so jarring is that we're supposed to love our moms. Why are you so happy that she's gone? Which is why I picked up the book. Cause I wasn't super interested in another celebrity memoir, but it was literally the title in itself. That was like, what may be the reason for that one. Um, and it does, it does come back around and it is, essentially how I perceive the whole theme of the book. Yeah. My experience with Jeanette McCurdy um, started with this book. I don't, I didn't watch iCarly. I'm too old. I'm not that demographic for that. I'm very old. I did watch one episode last night because I wanted to like get an idea of what, and I don't think I made it through the whole episode. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Not the demographic right now. And that's fine. Um, So I didn't have like a <laughs> I didn't, I didn't have like, um, like a foundational awareness of like this character and, um, and this person and like what, what position she had in society and, and in celebrity and, and in the public eye. Uh, so it was kind of like just coming straight into it cold and like, oh, there's, oof, there's a lot in this book, friends. There's a lot to talk about in this book. It's not, not that isn't even her relationship with her mom, but yeah, we do. She does. I mean, sorry to digress so much, but yeah, the, the, the premise that we hold parents, especially mothers to like this beautiful high standard, like they're these like incredible martyrs, you know, it also does a disservice, uh, to mothers. I want to say, um, and encourages a lot of that, like, oh, I'm so selfless, like get up on my cross bullshit, which it doesn't benefit anybody. I think her mom leaned into it the way you just described it too. Like I am this, you know, incredible human being. I've been through so much. You should be breaking your neck into some, in some shape, form or fashion in order to make me feel happier because of what I've gone through. And that was also the precipice for Jeanette pursuing acting was that it was her fulfilling her mother's dream. And that's another aspect of the book is just Jeanette pleasing her mother because of the guilt that her mother puts on her. And what I love also about the book is not just about the relationship Jeanette has with her mother, but her relationship to Hollywood, because Hollywood is another place that is so glamorized and people have such an obsession with celebrity and fame. But much of the book is spent about 
Jeanette in the audition process. Like it's a, it's a good chunk of the book before she even starts talking about iCarly. And it gives such a glimpse to the work that comes before you even get a modicum of fame that she um, experienced and what happens when you get to that place. So it's, it, it doesn't glamorize familiar relationships and it doesn't glamorize Hollywood, which I appreciate the context between the two. Yeah. Hollywood is almost, or um, yeah, Hollywood is almost like um, a parallel to her relationship with her mom. Like they kind of run along the same tracks and, and, and Hollywood does a lot of the same type causes a lot of the same types of harms and perpetrates the same types of abuses as her mother did. And, um, really keeps encouraging her to like, I mean, it exploits her like her mom did abuses her like her mom did encourages uh, her eating disorder. I mean, it's just, she, it wasn't, what struck me is that like, she just like never really had a safe place at any point in time from her, from her childhood on. One thing that I noted upon completing the read was that by sort of like the last maybe 15 to 20% of the book, a lot of her decisions were like, I'm going to prioritize my mental health no matter what. So I understand it that the reboot will produce a lot of money as our co-stars were like, it's a good check. And she also points out quite a few times after her mother passes away, how hard it is to get out of the child actor cycle, which we can all see. And you have these two actors no disrespect to Miranda Cosgrove and Nathan, love them, big fans, but they are just, that's their career, these characters that they played when they were like 12 and that's it. And her being like, I don't want to do that. Um, I also am not going to do it just for a check. And I know that I'm not in a position to do that without feeling like I would have to sacrifice some part of my mental health. That's such a rare thing to see and that even in people who aren't child actors, we will take on the extra assignment because we need the security of the paycheck or blah, 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 blah. And I, I felt like no one's really been talking about that. And that was a big part of her journey because that was also a separation from what her mother was doing and what Hollywood was doing. And also that $300,000 that was offered to her for her silence. And this was, and I don't know if that was like pre-Me Too movement or during the Me because the iCarly, I mean, Sam and Cat has ended fairly recently. It's only been a couple years, but the $300,000 that was offered to her to not say anything uh, because of the abuse that she was receiving from Dan Schneider, who is, I mean, a pivotal part of shows that I watched as a kid, like all that and Keenan and Kel and you know, has been known to be incredibly abusive as a creator. Um, but to pay for her silence, and she was like, no, I want to speak on these things. And now she's been able to talk about that in her memoir um, was so special because some people would have been like, okay, cool, 300K to not say anything, I'll do it. But then you realize that your silence doesn't have a number to it. What do you all, I feel like that... What do you all feel about how she portrayed um, her eating disorder? I appreciated it. Um, and the only reason why I say that is I feel like there's just not a whole lot of, or I guess personally, I haven't read a lot of books that talk about 
a personal experience with an eating disorder, especially the mental process that kind of comes with that when you're eating. Um, and it just felt nice that it was written down and it was like some words that you could put to emotions if you've ever experienced uh, issues with anorexia or even bulimia. I think that was like probably my favorite part of the book. I have like an up and down uh, feelings about just this book in general. Um, and like I rewatched the interviews this morning and I still haven't really fully decided how I feel about it anymore. But I did like the eating disorder part just because it was raw, it was honest. And I feel like if you've never experienced an eating disorder, it at least gives the words to describe what people are going through and more than just like, a, oh, I'm just not hungry. Oh, I just like hate my body. No, it's more than just that. I felt like the overall portrayals of all of the mental health related things were like the whole book is just very honest. Like she's very cut the bullshit. This is my experience. I'm not here to fluff it up. This is not me romanticizing my life and this sort of pitfalls of it. And in that we see a representation of OCD, which is highly stigmatized. And we also see a representation of schizophrenia, which is highly stigmatized as well, as well as the eating disorders that, and they're handled with care and they're handled with honesty. And we're talking with doctors and we're seeing different methods and we're seeing how to support people who are going through those things. Because as she's experiencing OCD, Though her mother sort of dismissed it, her grandfather was like, hey, here are some signs that are common in children who are experiencing OCD and may not know how to articulate that because she thinks it's God. You know what I mean? Yeah. So her grandfather being like, hey, she's showing signs of OCD. This is, you know, maybe we should look into that despite it being dismissed by her mother. And then also her boyfriend being like, hey, I'm pretty sure I'm God. So you know, if you want to ride that wave, I would be down. And she was like, that is maybe something that we should talk about. And then also sort of having that conversation before she's getting ready to go out of town, leaving her boyfriend in a place that he doesn't live and doesn't have access to his parents and then having to have that conversation with his parents and then trying to help him manage that while she's going through what she's going through. And these are all things that like we don't see in books. We don't talk about eating disorders because it's still a hush hush thing. We don't talk about OCD or schizophrenia because we still deem it as like a thing that only homeless people go through for some reason. But this is a very, like I would refer to somebody to this text if they were like sort of what's, I sort of want to start somewhere we don't really know what's going on. So from my perspective um, on the eating disorder part, so I had a, self-disclosure. I had an eating disorder for a really long time. I think, um, I started, uh, when I was very young, I was nine. Um, and, uh, and it ended in my twenties, I almost had a heart attack. Um, and it was pretty impactful part of my life. And I read a lot of books on eating disorders and a book like this would have been very triggering to me because she talks about numbers like weight, you know, and she talks about how to, um, uh, sneak, uh, uh, purging in a public 
place. And so there are a lot of parts of it that were handled in, from my perspective, really irresponsibly from what we know about how we discuss eating disorders in a way to not like, because it's very contagious, right? In a way to like not trigger um, young people into doing it as well. Even talking about um, the losing, she lost a tooth, uh, she was bleeding from her esophagus. Those sorts of things can also still be triggering because when you're in that negative emotional space, you want to punish yourself and you want to like be as good at, at it as like this celebrity person is. Now, that being said, I do think it needs to be talked about. And I think the way that she talked about the anguish, the absolute anguish she had around eating and like looking at this food and like it just really like the push and pull inside of her was really, really accurately done and incredible and, um, and important work. So I, I, I think we're still sort of struggling, like as a society to like figure out how to do these things like ethically and responsibly. Um, and I wouldn't, uh, like turn anyone away from reading this book for that reason, but I would want to be really, really clear that the person I was like referring to this book isn't somebody that might be susceptible to something like that. Um, because it, it's too, that's one of the things that makes it so hard to talk about eating disorders is because they're so contagious. The same as like suicidality. It's so hard to talk about because it's so contagious, but we still need to find a way to talk about it. I also love the way that she talked about therapy um, particularly with her therapist, Laura, and how Laura informed her how to do, do, how to do the work, um, to be more aware of herself and what she's gone through. And it was just questions, but Jeanette didn't seem like she was in a space at the time to really be able to do the work. There are a lot of people being told you need to go to therapy, but it's the one thing to tell someone to go to therapy. And it's a whole other thing to tell someone to do the work. And I loved that, that arc in her, in Jeanette's book, because as we've been saying, it's honest, it's raw, it's unflinching. And therapy was another part of that. And how like all of a sudden she was talking about therapy with um, Laura, and then we didn't hear any more about her. So it was just us implying that Jeanette stopped working with this person and then how she was able to move forward with um, recovering from an eating disorder. So I appreciate that it wasn't like, yeah, I went to therapy and it did wonders for me, like, like a Weight Watchers commercial or something. But it was very much her preparing to do the work that eventually that she was able to do, but at the moment wasn't really able to understand. It's a really, it was a really good portrayal of therapy, I think. And like, and the, how you like, when you're, when you are involved in it, like if you're not quite ready to recover yet, you drop out of therapy. You just like, you're like, nope, not facing that demon. I am done with it. And like, you have to be able to um, go back to it. If you can't do the work, you're right. You know, if you can't do the work, the therapy is not itself isn't going to be effective. Um, yeah, I, I, I really liked, I really, really liked the different honest portrayals of the mental health system and mental health itself in this book. I thought it was great. I would be interested in if Jeanette McCurdy did decide to write another book more so about the healing processes that she goes through, just because I felt like I'm glad my mom died was written in so much anger. And it's like, you don't see that in the interviews that she's doing. Like it feels like angry in the book, but then you kind of see a little bit more growth when she's talking about it. I want to know more about that growth. 
Um, so I hope to see that in the future. I felt no resolve while reading this book. And I seeked the interviews because I wanted it. Like, I felt like I'm glad my mom died. And basically what happened in the book is she goes to her therapist and her, and her therapist was like, why don't, why don't we talk about your mom? And she's like, mm, got a blast. And she literally, it after that point, it never comes back up again. She has the last page where she's at the cemetery. Everything in between her first therapist and the cemetery is her working with the second doctor getting over her eating disorder. Like that's the book. She literally drops it off. And then, you know, she's on Red Table Talk talking about, you know, how, you know, how she's no longer doing her mom's work and like all the emotional like achievement she's made. But you don't see that in the book. It's just implied. And I don't know if that's because publishers knew people would be seeking out or knew people would be seeking out the talks and like word was read. I don't really know, but it felt like that was left up to the audience to just conclude because they gave us a title. I ha- I wanted to um, bring something that kind of irked me. Her mother called her vagina a front butt. And I have a real problem with that. Because I don't like when adults call body parts little kitty shit. Because that's predatory. You need to call body parts what they are. She has a vagina. Not a front butt. This isn't some cute stuff. And it was such a small part of the book. I listened to a lot of this book while walking. I had to stop walking and really process that her mother called her vagina a front butt. What do y'all think or just just the interaction. No, no, absolutely not. Uh, and, and uh, well, I think it kind of actually makes sense that her mom did it because her mom was abusing her and was, I think she said she was giving her vaginal and breast exams till she was 17. She was bathing her until she was 16. She was wiping her ass until she was, I don't know how old, but her mom was abusing her, you know? And so it is abuser language. You know, it, not that everybody that uses cutesy terms for anatomical body parts is an abuser, but abusers do use cutesy terms for anatomical body parts. And her mom was an abuser. I, 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 it's one of my, one of the things that really, really frustrates and grates on me too. We don't do that in my house. We don't do that. We talk about what the actual body part is. We know what our bodies are and not not using the correct terms does does leave a child open to be abused. We already know that we have the evidence of that. I kind of wanted to hear more from her brothers uh, because they also like it's you know it's stated that like her brothers would be next to her being bathed while they were both teenagers, but we don't really hear what they have to say. All right, and I also kind of and for that reason I kind of liked the conversation with the stepdad because it gave us a little bit more insight on how the rest of the household was being um of being affected because she also was not super fantastic to that man uh you know not that he was like you know a drizzled over cheesecake or something but like he also didn't deserve that and then when we find out that she you know, she has some, she has some side operations happening the entire time on top of treating him like this. I was like, this is crazy. 
And I, I mean, I don't know how to weave this in, but what did you think about like the disclosure about her dad, just like meeting her real dad? Like all of a sudden, like almost the end of the book. And she's like, so then I found out my dad wasn't my biological father. I kind of felt like, I felt like when she was writing it, she was like, this might as well be happening. Like this would, this would definitely make sense. And I felt like obviously it was like a big part, but I also feel like in the book, it was so small. Like you could, you felt the emotional poof, what, you know, why, why and then why now? And then also the way that they told her and also didn't tell her brother, it, the whole situation was very weird. I imagined it all happened in a Burger King, but yeah. So they go through this and then like her and Miranda Cosgrove and like their friend, like go meet him at the show. And she's like, maybe something will happen. And then it's another thing that literally never comes back up again. Like that's it. I think that's why I don't know how to like weave it into the conversation because it's almost like its own little vignette. Like it exists all by itself and it should be more impactful. Like what a betrayal to like be lied to your whole life about who your actual like biological parent is um, and not find out until after your mom has died that she had this affair that produced children. But it's like, yeah, that it with everything else that's happening is sort of like, and then this is another shitty thing my mom did, I guess. And then it like disappears off the map. I forgot about that part. I feel like I read the book so long ago that I forgot so much of the book and that I'm just relying on the interviews that I watched. So that's why this has been such a roller coaster of an emotions on what I think about it. Cause it's like, oh yeah, it was all right. Oh no. Like I wish I had this or, oh yeah, these interviews were great, but where was this part in that? Like totally forgot that she, her dad wasn't her real dad until like I watched the red table talk and they had the family tree going on. Yeah. Another book should happen. And it also just aids into how, or aids into how we see her relationship with the stepdad, like her child, like they went on that bike the bike ride and they she was late to like a class or an audition and how like her father is probably the closest person she could ever relate to in that household and she still can't keep up with him and she still can't have that connection with him so then when we learn this like straight up bombshell then it's like oh, okay all of this makes sense like why she wasn't able to truly connect with this man because did he know that she wasn't okay so like he's trying to keep some relationship with her and she's like desperate to keep something with him because he's the closest thing to her yeah so I guess uh overall impressions of the book it was low-key kind of mid I respect the I respect the publicity uh because I feel like more people needed to know about this if you're I feel like enough Gen Zers, I will speak for the 21 and 22 year olds or whatnot. We kind of knew about the Dan Schneider thing. Didn't know about the mom thing. And then the Trevor Noah interview, she talks about how, and we sort of get a glimpse of this in the book about how the other girls were being treated by their mothers. So we know that it's not uncommon. And I feel like the conversation was needed just for that. But in terms of like, people were like gassing up the writing. And I was like, you know, I'm sure it was a fantastic one woman play, which is where it originated. But I didn't feel like this book was giving what it should have gave. I gave it four stars. I think I gave my opinions already on it. Uh, Four stars. 
Yeah, I mean, I appreciate it. And I feel my feeling is if you're a famous person writing a memoir right now and you're not writing at this level, you need to put your computer away because it can't just be some glossy, this is what Hollywood is like. You need to really be honest about what the industry is, what the, you know, the detriments, the highs, the lows, you can't shield behind, you know, a story just to sell something. You have to be honest, you have to be unflinching. And, you know, there are, we talked about the content warnings. It is fairly graphic. It's not just something that she's just like, yeah, I just, I did this. It's unflinching. It's honest. There is obviously room for critique. I would also now like to see more um, the healing process. Like it's like I'm glad the book could be. I'm glad I healed my heart or something like that. But I think there does need to be a part two. But otherwise, for a famous person to be writing at this level, I it's incredible. Yeah, I um, I think if I knew anything about Jeanette. McCurdy before this book, I probably would have a different opinion of it. Um, but I was really coming in blind and I, I am conflicted about it. And I probably will, it'll probably be one of those books that I forgot that I read at some point in time, but there are, um, aspects of it that I think are really necessary and need to be, um, um, added to the dialogue that we have and hopefully can, support more discussions, more honest discussions, more, I mean, truly graphic discussions about um, what people deal with when they deal with mental health issues, when they deal with abuse, when they deal with um, dysfunctional family situations. So I'm glad it's there, um, but I, it's, it's just not probably my book, I guess. Any other memoirs that you've read um, that either resonated with you. I just finished Viola Davis's memoir and it is extraordinary. And it is another memoir that is fairly graphic because it talks about, she talks about her upbringing in true poverty. Some people think poverty is not having a pool in your backyard. Her poverty is, you know, it, she talks about it in such great detail and it illuminates the woman that she is today. So yeah, I also listened to that on audiobook. So that was great. And also Mean Baby by Selma Blair was great. Um, she talks a great deal about her childhood and just a, a little bit about her acting career and then more about her now being diagnosed with uh, MS. And then also Jessica Simpson's memoir. I'm glad that she was able to tell her own story. Um, those three I would highly recommend. I'm like staring at my shelf right now being like, wait, what celebrity memoirs have I read? I just keep thinking about how Deepthi from Love is Blind, uh, she put out a memoir. And, you know, I saw the I saw the thing happen on Instagram. And I was like, oh, I wonder if I can get this book early. Turns out it's Vanity published. Um, and so she published it herself uh, through Amazon. And uh, she probably didn't have an editor for that. And I'm curious on what it's like. But also, I don't want to read it because I pretty sure it's going to be horrible. But um, if we're counting reality TV stars as celebrities, uh, Miss Me With That by Rachel Lindsay was excellent. Uh, if you're ever curious about what the first Black Bachelorette has to say, and she's just wonderful. I think everyone should read that one. <laughs> um, this is going to be 
a little oh like a little offshoot of a suggestion but john lewis's march graphic novel series is so good and their memoirs and they do dig into like they're there's like they're like a little series but the first one like digs into his like his childhood and like where it comes from his sort of like beliefs and the work that he would do in his adulthood and like moving forward those are really really good and then my angelo i know there are like so many of them but they like eat and i know that they're common suggestions but they're really really good um and those are my two for right now wonderful i enjoyed this conversation it was so robust we all got to be honest about what we think about the memoir and uh, we hope you all enjoyed this conversation Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Feminist Book Club, the podcast. Want to be part of the club? Here's how you can join us. Obviously, subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating and review for brownie points. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and TikTok. All of those links are in the show notes. Sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know what our next monthly book pick is. And check out our award-winning monthly book subscription service. Oprah Magazine named it one of their favorite book boxes, and Shonda Rhimes called us one of her favorite subscription boxes in general. There are multiple membership levels for any budget, and it's an excellent way to support the show and the voices you heard today. See you in the club. Well, Red Woman is a dangerous creature, creature. I'd like to invite you to join the National Women's Studies Association this November 10th through the 13th at the Hilton Minneapolis for the annual conference. The 2022 NWSA conference theme, Killing Rage, Resistance on the Other Side of Freedom, seeks to open up conversations about freedom and justice, salvation and sacrifice, convenience and controversy, and whose life and vote matters. At our conference, you can connect with other activists, feminists, and scholars from across the globe. This year, the keynote speakers are feminist leaders Angela Davis and Anita Hill and many more. Don't know what NWSA is? The NWSA is the world's largest group of feminists, activists, and scholars dedicated to advancing women and women's studies across the globe. So are you a feminist? Join NWSA at nwsa.org to become a member and to see more details on this year's conference. Again, that's nwsa.org or follow them on Twitter at NWSA or on Instagram at NWSA underscore IG. We hope to see you this November here in Minneapolis.